0: What's up, everybody? This is Inside Major League Pickleball, and I am your host for the day, Tyson Apostle, and we have a very exciting podcast and episode today. We are going to be talking all about the pickleball paddles what's going on i know you've all heard the word delamination uh it is similar to the grit conversation we all had last year and we have two very special guests first of all uh we've had them on here multiple times and if you follow pickleball at all you're very well aware of the commissioner of major league pickleball brooks wiley brooks how's it going <laughs> i'm good Tyson. Thank, glad to be back Good. Yeah. Did you like my intro? I mean, okay. Thank you. Good. Yeah. And uh, we have with us uh, a representative uh, from Pro Pickleball Labs. He's been helping uh, Pickleball uh, make their way in the equipment realm, similar to what he did with uh, baseball, softball. Uh, I think, he, uh, Curtis, you also did some football stuff, just like all across the board. And uh, our guest with us is Curtis Cruz, Managing Director at Pickleball Pro Pickle Pro Labs, not Pickleball Pro Labs, mm-hmm. right? Pickle Pro yeah, Labs. You got it. Curtis, you got it. how you doing? Straight from Louisiana. Yeah,
1: doing real well. Thanks, Tyson.
0: Good. Uh, I think I want to start right at the beginning here of how did Pickle Pro Labs come in contact with Major League Pickleball? Like, I I know that we've seen uh, these complaints about equipment not being on a level playing field. This has been happening for, I don't know, a, a year or a little more than that, Brooks, I guess. And at what stage you you've been with major league pickleball since the beginning. Yes. And -hmm. before that you were a pickleball fan. Right. And you followed the pro sport. Uh, at what point were you like, something needs to happen here. Something needs to be put in place so that equipment is regulated.
2: Yeah. I mean, well, we, uh, there's another gentleman by the name of Gary Brody who works with closely with Curtis at pickle pro labs. Um, they're also helping us, um, in our ball development as, as I know a lot of people know we were we are working on a ball so um that's where they first came into our uh into our radar and I, I can't pinpoint the exact date but you know everything as we all know in the pickleball world is moving at the speed of light. Uh and I want to say you know it's probably in March, February or March. Um, you know, I, I have been I was with Duper for a year, uh, out on the road, you know, at twelve different PPA events in twenty twenty one. Uh was out on the road um getting all the players to play in the first major league pickleball in twenty twenty one. So I've developed relationships with a lot of the players and it just you know, I was constantly have been over this year getting texts from players or phone calls or just talking with players when we're at Dreamland or around Austin and just the the drumbeat was getting louder and louder and louder that you know something needs to be done about this. And
0: what were those calls? What did they entail? Just like just, do something, make sure it's even.
2: Yeah, just that the, the the playing field is not level. That there are things going on. You know whether it's the the paddle designs themselves, or um, you know this paddle's too hot, or um, you know there's some things going on where uh, you know I think we started to hear about delamination. Uh, again, like, I think probably, let's see, Daytona, Mesa, probably slightly after Mesa, somewhere between Mesa and Daytona. Okay. So, uh, Curtis, you, you have an extensive
0: engineering background and you've worked with sports for decades and you get this introduction to pickleball and you're looking at the equipment immediately what are you think are like are you seeing because of your background like ways that these uh, things can be manipulated for the play for a uh, player's advantage
1: yeah you know i do think um, when i first started to to talk to brooks and, and his team about what was going on and started to look into it it felt you know eerily similar to baseball and softball and other sporting goods industries 15 20 years ago Uh, And at that time, what you saw happening were equipment manufacturers and individuals that would find ways to modify equipment to, you know, perform to their benefit. And um, usually that happens when games get more and more popular, right? So kudos to pickleball. It's it's the fastest growing sport in the world. Uh, And more and more people are playing. So more and more people are incentivized to, To win more and to try to do more to gain an advantage. Uh, And so when we start looking at what could happen, you start reading the rules as they're written, you realize, man, you know, there's a little bit of gray area in here, or the certification standards aren't quite up to where they could be or should be. Uh, Written, I think they all have the correct intent. Um, But fast forward 20 years later, you you see the popularity of the game now. You realize that these standards could be written. Um, in a better way, or or compliance be um, handled in a better way to minimize the likelihood of an unfair advantage, or even a dangerous advantage, or a dangerous uh, incident on the court.
0: Okay. So you, uh, when I'm looking through this uh, Pickle Pro Labs document that came out, I was thinking mostly of the equipment standard, but you're also helping uh, set in words rules and regulations so that it cuts out the loopholes or the gray areas?
1: Yeah, what I would say is um, my role is to help advise Burks and his team. So if they say, hey, we think the rule should do this, I can look and say, okay, if you write the rule like that, that leaves me the ability to do this, or I can circumvent by doing that. Uh, and so... It just allows us to work together um, to make sure that we write the standards or that they write the standards get written, regardless of who writes them, in a way that's robust. Um, Again, it's it's Brooks and his team or whatever governing bodies need to uh, write the standards. It's just me and my team working through the standard equipment, uh, methodology, compliance, all that stuff.
0: Okay. So... Let's go back to MLP Mesa, like you mentioned, Brooks, and we see and we're hearing this delamination like you're hearing it everywhere and everybody's like, what is delamination? How is this happening and what can be done? Uh, What like what is happening in delamination and and why is it uh, detrimental to the sport?
2: Um, Curtis, do you want to handle that in terms of like what actually happens with the paddle?
1: Yeah, no, I'd be happy to. I was going to jump in. We delaminate head? paddles on our. <laughs>
2: <Yeah. own. laughs> well, one, so, one thing I want to one thing I want to say before he explains like the technical part of it is I think also like I want to be clear that I don't think uh, there's for on the, both the players and the manufacturers' standpoint like in the in the conversations we had everybody wants to do everybody that we've talked to wants to do the right thing they mm-hmm. want a level playing field and I don't. I almost think this was an unintentional. I think this was people making advancements in paddle technology, which is the, I mean, the the biggest paddles are the foam reform paddles, which have like the foam edge. So they were trying to increase the stability of the paddle um, and make the sweet spot bigger and do positive things. And I think there was an accidental, the accidental consequence of that was it created a situation by which the paddle can deteriorate, but get better, which was not happening before with the old honeycomb paddles and different manufacturing process. So I just want to be clear. I think, I don't think people were doing this on purpose. I think it was like an accidental thing. And then, you know, people have figured out that it is an advantage and that's where we are right now. So. Yeah. I kind of like, am
0: imagining like a caveman discovering fire for the first yeah, exactly. time. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And like somebody being like this old paddle is hitting so much harder <laughs> yeah. than it did when it was new and that didn't used to be the case. With right. the old technology as the paddle wore down, it lost pop, it lost power and now with all the new technology it's some of them it's doing the reverse. Right.
1: Yeah, uh, oftentimes what you see are really just unintended consequences, right? So you make changes A, B and C for specific reasons, and as it turns out, outcome D occurs and nobody thought it was going to happen or, or intended for it to happen. Um, but from a simple standpoint, when you look at what's happening when a ball hits a paddle, um, when the, the the ball itself is not very right, it doesn't bounce like a bouncy ball. It doesn't bounce like a golf ball Right, it drop it on the ground. It doesn't bounce very much at all, really, compared to many other sports. Right. Uh, and so that ball loses a lot of energy when it hits the paddle. And so, if your paddle is designed in such a way that it, the wall deflects like a trampoline and then springs back as that ball is coming off the paddle, you're going to lose less energy by deforming the ball, and you're going to have more energy because of that rebound of the uh, of the paddle face. Uh, and so we refer to that. In this, the industry, you know, the sporting goods industry in general refers to that as the trampoline effect, uh, and so delamination can cause that, crushing of the core can cause that, lots of different things can cause it, and ultimately the causes are relevant. What matters is actually what's physically happening, uh, and so you know, as the face gets more and more compliant, more and more soft, so long as it's not not able to return to shape. You're going to have higher and higher performance, uh, and so what we need to do is just make sure that we're testing for that, understanding how it happens, and and do everything we can to help make sure that uh, it's controlled.
0: Okay, so we're hearing the whispers of delamination after meso, or maybe during meso, or around that time frame, and. As you're hearing and seeing this, Brooks, what is Major League Pickleball's action like? Because Daytona's coming up, we're hearing it; it's getting louder. Like the conversations about delamination are getting louder. What uh, what does MLP do?
2: So yeah, our two main objectives with Daytona, where we're like, we obviously realize this is a big problem; it needs to be addressed as quickly as possible. But at the same time, we feel like it needs to be. We wanted to be really thoughtful and really measured and really careful because of those, like I just mentioned, there's plausible deniability on behalf of the players and the paddle manufacturers. So before we started um, going to penalties, we wanted to collect data. And that was the sole purpose or not the sole purpose, but the number one purpose for Daytona was let's test every single paddle. And uh, that's what we did. So a player... If, we asked the players basically before a paddle was put in play, any paddle that was tested required a signature. So every single paddle that any player played with in Daytona, which was 240 paddles, I think, uh, roughly, they all got tested. Um, So number one was let's collect data and let's see what the problem is. Is it a 3% problem? Is it a 5% problem? Is it a 30% problem? And kind of collect the data so that we can begin to determine what those specifications and what those guidelines are and then number two to begin to refine like what the testing procedures are what's the best equipment to use in the field how can we replicate i mean ultimately what you're trying to do with at least with deflection is you're trying to replicate curtis said like the speed of the ball going off of the paddle right so what equipment could we use to with the highest correlation of and what not only what equipment, but how do you set that equipment and the uh, the parameters of the equipment and the um Curtis can talk a little bit more about the technical details of load and things like that, but like how do you set the equipment such that it um correlates as close as possible to performance? Because that's really what we care about, right? Player doesn't like delamination is a symptom, not the not the illness, right? Um it Players care that when I hit a ball, I don't want it coming back at me, you know, 2x faster or whatever the this, this speed is. So, yeah, gather data, right. begin to start um, informing ourselves so we can come up with a thoughtful, what the guidelines were. And number two, like, what are the processes for testing going forward? Okay. And Curtis, when you heard this, yep. so, did you? Yeah, so in the
1: weeks leading up to Daytona... Um, the first thing we, we needed to do, we brought in a whole bunch of brand new paddles. And the first thought was, what things can we do to these paddles to better predict or identify performance? Uh, and so we looked at a variety of, you know, face stiffness or deflection, basically the, I think the average, uh, deflection, deflection force is what we coined it in the, uh, in the white paper we put together, um, yeah that was really the most critical thing that we wanted to do was identify how similar or different are these paddles when they're new? Um, because the current testing that had been done, really, everything looked the same, right? It, you couldn't really tell the difference. You look at all the data there's no way to know, right. it, it all looked like it could have been from the same paddle. Um, so we needed to come up with a test methodology that made clear delineations between the products. Uh, and so, if you, you know, like I said, you you don't compress enough, everything looks the same. And if you compress too much, the other extreme, everything breaks, right? So there's some sort of a happy medium that says, okay, here's where we've achieved a difference, and we can now tell the difference in these paddles. And it's, you know, over the course of time doesn't appear to be damaging or causing any sort of uh negative effect or um uh consequence on the paddle itself. So we did that beforehand, identified a pretty good um and practical and reasonable, uh, test parameter, we think. Uh, and then we executed this, uh, the same protocol and principle at the uh, Daytona event, looked at all the paddles and as it came through, we, I think we're, were pleasantly uh, surprised to see that almost all the paddles, uh, fell within a, within a close range of each other, right? There's certainly a the bell, bell curve. Yeah. Yeah. But- there were, there were only a handful of outliers. And so the next step is to say, you know, what does this mean for actual on-field or on-court performance? That we don't know. I can't tell you what a current deflection force is and what sort of um, hit ball speed you're going to be looking at. Um, that's really the next step. We're building equipment right now to measure that directly. So right now we have um, a little bit better than anecdotal information on how these paddles perform and how it correlates based on the deflective force. Um, so when we looked at it, you know, reasonable people looked at the data and said, well, here's where everything falls in this bell curve. So things that the two or three paddles that are outliers that are outside of these bounds seems reasonable that maybe those are not the paddles that we want to, to have in play. Uh, and so we, we try to look at things in that sort of a, kind of a slow and practical way. And as we develop that definitive dynamic test that tells us the actual performance, then we'll be able to be much more precise with the, the delineations between performance.
0: So the goal here is measure all the paddles that are in play and come up with a baseline to start building the rules around. Is that is that safe yes. to say? Yeah. Okay. And then, like, because that like. Yeah. There's no line right now, right? And that's where you guys are like, we have to create a line.
2: Yes, correct. And then, like he said, the dynamic testing is the next step. And that is yeah. that is literally like firing a cannon. Uh, ben mentioned this in his podcast, right? You're trying to figure out, or on a podcast, um, uh, the exit speed of the paddle in a way that as closely replicates you know, a, three O player hitting the ball is very different than Ben hitting the ball. Um, so right. we're trying, we're going to start dynamic testing that actually, where you can fire a pickleball at a paddle at, you know, different speeds, figure out what is, what closely replicates an actual professional match. Um, and then that will help us to determine, um, both with deflection and spin surface roughness, roughness as well. Like what you know, we, we determined, I think in that report that 49 was two standard deviations away from the the average of the deflection. Um, it might turn out to be 50 or 55 or 60. We don't know that. We won't know that until we do the dynamic testing to, to again, to replicate like actual on court real world conditions. So let's, uh,
0: so right now that Testing you've done has all been static, meaning you've yeah. had a stationary paddle, and you put it in a paddle squisher. I'm assuming you call it, or is that is that essentially what you're doing? Is yeah, I mean, compressing that's, that's the paddle? That's definitely yeah. what
1: we're going to call it now. Yeah, the yeah. paddle squisher. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah, so it, that's exactly what it was, right? It, it's measuring uh, essentially a three point bend uh, to to measure the force it's required to deflect the face at sixteenth of an inch. Um, what we found in other sports is that if you're, if you've got your parameters set up properly, it's almost a direct correlation between that measurement and the dynamic measurements. So oh. we expect there to be a very tight correlation. Uh, again, can't predict exactly what it's going to be yet, but we, we feel very strongly that there'll be a, a very good correlation.
0: Okay. So let's move uh, now to the dynamic testing part of it. So, you're getting away from a paddle squisher, which seems like a relatively simple machine, mm-hmm. compared to yeah. now having to test mm-hmm. it create a motion similar to right. what a professional pickleball player would hit a ball. Right. How is that going to look? Is it going to be ten Boston dynamic robotic dogs <laughs> playing pickleball? Like how? How does this work?
1: Uh, so you know, it's funny. It's it's actually a lot simpler than you may uh, imagine. Because really, what you need is you need the the impact ratio. You need the impact efficiency of the ball and the paddle. So the actual swing isn't uh, necessarily relevant, as so long as the the energies are correct and and the uh, the momentum is conserved. It's it's the same type of like I said before. All the derivations we went through to build the baseball and softball standards. Same thing is going to apply here. So numbers are all different, but the procedure is the same. You you impact the the paddle on a ball, you look at the impact efficiency, you look at that across a variety of impact speeds, and then you can build kind of a performance curve, if you will, for um, for how that paddle is going to respond under certain conditions for a specific type of ball. Uh, and then from the flip side, you can look at it and, and ask the question, well, maybe we can use this for the balls too. The answer there is yes, right? You can you can qualify both um, separately because too many variables if you're looking at everything all at the same time. But the same equipment can be used for both balls and uh, and battles. Okay,
2: right. and how? Oh, One, go ahead, Brooks. And then the but the important thing is also to tie that. So we did static testing, dynamic testing, but then you want to tie the dynamic testing, like you said, correlate it back to the static testing because you can't have you know. 10 Boston dynamic dogs running around San Clemente (laughs) testing. So we got to have, we got to find the procedures that we feel comfortable enough from a, not even not feel comfortable enough, but from a scientific standpoint that correlate back to the static testing so that we can come up with a static test that we're comfortable with putting in an office or a tent or whatever on, on an event that we can test a paddle in five minutes or 10 minutes and be like, this passes or this fails. Um, but it's the entire process is static, dynamic, and then tying that back to a repeatable static test in the field.
0: Okay. Yep. Yeah, that makes sense because that's that's the tricky part is it right. gets expensive if you have to design 10 different apparatuses to test and then bring them all across the country, traveling everywhere you go. And it takes days to give. So uh, how close are you to that point?
1: The equipment we've been playing with um, ongoing. Um, We've got a facility in Chicago where this is all being built. Uh, So what we're trying to find is what are those parameters for play, right? What is in baseball and softball, for example, it's well-documented the speeds of play, Um, not so much in pickleball. And then you've got a lot more variability in play with the balls and the the paddles that are are being used right now. So we're kind of working through what does that look like? what speeds are hitting to impact? What happens when you impact? that we've seen certain speeds the, the ball doesn't fare too well, and and we're we're going one impact a ball that's not working well, right? So we need to to continue to refine it and make sure that we're setting up the tests in a way that makes sense and uh, gets us good consistent data.
2: Okay, and uh, when go and ahead, I, went, I don't, we want to do this collaboratively, collaboratively with you know with players in the future to determine because. Part of this is kind of, you know, we have at least a seat at the table to determine like what that standard is going forward. And I think Ben mentioned this too. Like it's a different, right now there's a, or there are guidelines. Like number one is how do you keep as close to those guidelines as possible and make sure who's over those guidelines, who's not. But then the second conversation is like what should those guidelines be? Do we want, uh, you know, baseball had this, I think, where they did this, they're like, looked at the, the golden era of baseball and they have to, you know, we have to make a decision like, do we want pickleball three years ago? Or do we want pickleball from December? Or, you know, or do we want to go faster? And I don't know the answers to that, but we want to do that in a collaborative way and, you know, get the feedback from players. Um, Cause they're the ones, you know, obviously level playing field safety are the two most important um, factors here. And we really, really want their feedback and we'll elicit that feedback as well. Yeah, I think because uh,
0: you, you do touch on something there. Because when we are looking at pickleball today, compared to even a handful of years ago, it was a much slower game a handful of years ago than even it is six now. months ago or a year ago. Even it's, six months ago, right?
2: It's ridiculous. <laughs> yeah,
0: but the players are also getting faster. Yeah. So it's it's not like it's not fun to watch. It's yeah. still great to watch, but at what cost to the players if it ends up being dangerous to them to have a ball fired back at yeah. them at such a high velocity or right. something. So, uh, yeah, that that's interesting. Well, uh, the,
2: the firefights are, you know, when when you have the videos that are the most popular and get millions of views, it's the firefights, right? And if you've got a, if, uh, somebody can hit a ball, like speed up a ball, and the counter comes back so fast that it hits you in the chest before you, know, before you can then re- before you can react like that's obviously a problem. And that's we don't want, you know, two shot rallies in pickleball. We want the firefights cause that's what people want to see. That's the most exciting and dynamic part of the part of our sport. So it's a matter of trying to find that right sp- sweet spot to, you know, what is the right amount of spin? What is the right amount of speed? Um, my personal opinion is I think like, you know, late twenty twenty two, early twenty twenty three, minus delamination is probably you know a pretty good sweet spot. Other people have different opinions, but um, yeah, yeah, that'll be. Do you
0: have the players started weighing in on this already? Have you had conversations
2: with no players? Not no, I mean, other than just informal conversations about you know, like everybody has a different opinion on you know what should be the skills. <laughs> um, that translate to success on the, on the court. Is it spin or, you know, people just, I know a lot of people don't want it to just become like, if I can hit the ball past you, that's the only thing that matters is a right. lot of the intricate strategy and different spins and different, you know, the 96 different dinks, the pros can hit or whatever, like all of that. If if, if all it is, is I can hit the ball past you that none of that, you know, that stuff starts to matter less and less and that's less right. interesting to to me personally at least
0: and that's where you have to find the the balance and the yeah. limit so on this uh on this Pickle Pro Labs uh document were there anything was there anything really surprising or stand out ish to you Curtis that you didn't expect
1: not really you know the we were pleasantly surprised to see that all the paddles even those that were used still fell pretty tightly within a bell curve. Um, you know that it speaks to I think the the foresight of uh, of Brooks and his team as they started to look at to solve this problem. If nobody had done any of this until six months from now, I would venture to guess that, that bell curve would have been much wider. In this, mm-hmm. that would have been indicative of a bigger problem, right? Because as soon as you get significant diversity in performance across the board and all the paddles. Now you've got a wide range of performance and you've got a lot of arguments about what's allowed, what's not. But right now, you know, the, 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 a problem is brewing. Um, but I think that we're in a good place to cut it off before it becomes, uh, significantly, um, you know, negative, uh, towards the industry and towards the market.
0: So the surprise was that it's not a big problem yet. It,
1: yeah, the surprise was that uh, it, it, you know, I, always, I always look at it conservatively. Like, we didn't know what to think when we were going into it, right? Like, um, how yeah. how bad is this going to be? Uh, not as bad as it could have been, for sure. Um, yeah, so, yeah. Um, if we think but, that
2: six paddles fell out of, you know, six out of 240 fell out of what we feel like would be a prudent guideline for San Clemente. And to be clear, again, we might that line might change. It could end up being 10 paddles or 12 or 15. But like you said, um, just we're happy that it wasn't, you know, 40 or (laughs) 70 or like something like that. Yeah. And you, you said that, uh,
0: I mean, all of this is anonymous with the paddles, the companies, all of that stuff, but you have had conversations with some of these paddle companies and the players.
2: Yes. So what was we, the general yeah, we,
0: reaction to people you had conversations with?
2: So, yeah, we, yeah, that's a very good point to bring up is we had two rooms in Daytona. One was like the players drop the paddles off, you know, turn them in, drop off, pick off. Then the other room was, you know, uh, paper on the door. Um, nobody was allowed in there except for the pickle pro engineers when they were doing when testing was going on, including myself, including any of the MLP staff. So we wanted to create that separation so that um the engineers knew what what the paddles that fell out of guidelines were and what you know whether it's from the player' standpoint and the manufacturer standpoint, but we wanted to re- keep this information so that we didn't so we were not biased making rules going forward or dealing with players or anything like that so Curtis's team um also privately contacted you know the I think it was six players and six manufacturers or something like that, um uh privately and had discussions with them. And yeah, I think um Chris, you should probably just, you know, tell them what how, how those conversations went.
1: Yeah, no, echoing what you said exactly. Uh they were all positive, um, certainly not accusatory in any way, right? I mean the, the data we're sharing is simply the data was collected. There's no um Estimation on how the certain paddles would form in certain ways uh, is just this is what the data showed, and this is what we're, we're trying to understand. And so, from paddle manufacturers, they're excited to hear that there's a standard going forward that maybe is more meaningful than what currently exists. Because if you, like we said, if you just looked at all the paddles in that group and tested them for the current standards, everything looks the same, right? There is no bell curve, everything's one grouping. Uh, and so, what we're Seeing is giving them more information and, and allowing them to design more effectively for the players that they're supporting in, in the market in general. Uh, and players, it, it, at least all the players that we've spoken with and I've spoken with, um, want the game to be fair. They're not looking to cheat. They're looking to, you know, they, they all believe in their own abilities uh, and they want to have a fair opportunity to showcase those abilities. Uh, it's been across the board to a T. Uh, exactly that.
0: So would you say that pickleball players are better than other athletes in, uh, (laughs) their pursuit of excellence?
1: Uh, you know what? I, I've been looking (laughs) a lot at the paddle performance. I can't tell you much about the player performance. (laughs) Okay.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I wanna go back real quick to this and the anon the anonymity of
2: yeah, anonymity.
0: Anonymity of <laughs> turning in your paddle. I got it close enough. <laughs> You're close. You're good. Close enough. Doing it anonymously. I think that if I'm a player and I'm doing this, it gives me more trust in what's actually happening behind, you know, the doors and the testing and stuff like that. I don't feel like Because I think there would be, like, if you're like, hey, Tyson, you're paddled in, like, is that just a slight against me because somebody doesn't like me somewhere? But if it's all anonymous, then it gives me greater confidence as a player that everything is even and uniform and unbiased. And I think that you create a kind of a, you know, a, a safety net or a trust nest or whatever you want to call it with these players and that will in turn produce better more accurate results
2: yes that's that was what we were going for so let's let's move forward
0: then so we did the daytona uh static testing with these paddles we're working on dynamic testing at uh various locations and we are moving into san clemente Mm -hmm. is there anything happening currently in the build up to San Clemente on uh this uh realm of paddle testing yeah i mean and, and what is happening
2: um we have not fully fleshed out or published exactly what those rules will be going forward um we'll do that over the next couple of weeks like we have a we have an internal competition committee that's myself and a couple other owners steve Kuhn, um uh, Courtney Johnson a referee and so we have a committee that meets and discusses the competition. Um, we'll do that in consultation with Curtis and uh, Gary and the Pickle Pro Labs crew and determine what those rules in, will be. Um, I think just the most important thing is we will any rules that we do will publish them and be as clear and transparent uh, as possible going forward to the players to our owners that you know the, the team owners and to the paddle manufacturers, my guess, again, we haven't done this, but it'll probably be like, if a paddle falls outside of the guidelines, it will not be allowed in play. Um, that's, that's kind of my best guess is what, is what we'll do, but we want to okay. do, we want to do it preventative and yeah, preventive, um, rather than punitive.
0: Okay. So, Well before or before the event, Mm -hmm. you'll have an opportunity to get your paddle tested. You'll have an opportunity to see if it falls within the parameters. You'll know the parameters, Mm -hmm. which uh, my understanding is that these parameters could change. This is just based on the knowledge we currently have
2: and what we're thinking is the best currently. Right. Like if we do some more testing in the next couple of weeks and we decide that 49 average deflection number should be... 55 or something. And then we'll contact those other players that had the paddles that are, or P- Curtis's company will contact those players and be like, you know, this paddle fell outside of the round. So you, you know, you may want to be aware of this. Um, but I think what we'll probably will do also is not only test like at the beginning, cause like I've, I've had a paddle that I used personally that was like, okay, on Tuesday night. (laughs) And then I traveled uh, to San Clemente to do a site visit and was playing. And then Wednesday was not okay. And just that, that happens. Um, So we will probably test like, you know, at the beginning and then also probably test like everybody, uh, I don't know, maybe everybody before the knockout round matches. So like quarterfinals, semifinals, get that, get those paddles tested, you know, immediately preceding those matches as well and and what will the
0: protocol be there if they test okay they play but then they test them again later on and they're not okay will they be punished for that or will they just Uh, be taken out of play i don't know that's i don't know something happened Yeah. yeah okay yeah and uh curtis will you be on site at san clemente or will uh Pickle Pro Labs be there. Yeah, yeah we'll running be, we'll all be the there tests.
1: Uh, running that test and making sure that uh, they we collect the data in a way that makes sense and is um, uh, justifiable.
0: Okay. Will you be also collecting uh, all of the data from all of the paddles like you did in the
1: yes in yep. uh,
0: Daytona? Yeah. So you'll just continue to collect data to mm-hmm. s- start s- figuring out the correct parameters for these right. things. Mm-hmm. Um what does the future hold like where Um. (laughs) where is this all going to lead us in the next like couple years are we gonna curtis tell us what the perfect paddle is gonna look like can i say one thing
2: (laughs) yeah let's hear it Um, we're also uh pretty close to publishing like we purchased pretty much I, i don't remember how many curtis how many models of paddles we purchased off the shelf and so that was the other thing was to create a baseline data of like you know what is a cellark zero zero two, or what is a carbon one x, or what is a gamma obsidian, or whatever off the shelf, to determine like what what the difference is between what it is when you buy it and then what happens, excuse me, what happens after you've been playing with it for a while. So we're really really close to um, publishing that data. Are you seeing a similar time
0: frame for when? paddles start to break down or is it
2: different?
1: Don't have an answer for that yet.
2: Yeah. Anecdotally, I've heard people say, I think I was playing in minor league pickleball and, or not playing, but in minor league pickleball in Dallas. And somebody said they had a paddle that they thought started to sound, you know, sound, obviously sound is one of the indicators of the delamination of the bond breaking. Um, they it was like two days or three days. You know, I think my, my paddle was like six weeks or so playing, you know, two or three times a week. So if you you can imagine, if, you know, some pros playing, they're training four to six hours a day, every day or five days a week, it, it can sometimes often happen pretty quickly. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. Um, uh, yeah. So, so Curtis,
0: two years from now, what are like, what can we expect from all of this? So I think you've
1: got uh two paths, really, right? the The first path is you write the rules in such a restrictive way that there's no development, no advancement in paddles or balls. Uh, The second pathway would be to write the rules and, and put um, performance requirements in place that allow manufacturers to make lots of different types of paddles for lots of different types of players. So long as the ultimate performance falls within the guidelines. I think the latter of those two options is much better for the market and the players. So that would be my hope is that we're able to find a test methodology methodology that allows that. Uh, I think we're on our way to doing so. So I think it's going to be a, a, a fun next few years and can't really predict exactly what they're going to look like. Okay.
2: Uh, I also want to say like our goal is we want to have like a unified set of regulations and guidelines across pickleball. So to work with USA pickleball, to work with PPA, um app as well like to come up with a set of standards and guidelines and repeatable tests that uh, have you know collaboration and are clear across the board um especially at the professional level and then secondly i think i think you might also see a bifurcation or um a spectrum of what is allowable maybe for recreational players versus um professional players um, because yeah. obviously also you can't you've got thousands and thousands, if not tens of thousands of amateur tournaments going on, you know, every month. They obviously can't afford to have a ten thousand dollar piece of equipment testing testing average deflection force. So we've got to come up with rules that are that are clear or guidelines and standards that are clear that allow amateur players to also um compete on a level playing field. But I also think like, you know, noise is a big thing in pickleball. So there might be a certain set of guidelines where if you're a recreational player you're playing in your hoa or you know condo community and you want to we want to have quieter paddles like those might be a separate set of guidelines as um for amateur recreational play than what um what is allowed at the professional level just like you know major league baseball they play with a wooden bat and everybody else plays with aluminum bats
0: right okay yeah that's interesting too because you can't like you can't go to all those amateur tournaments and test thousands of paddles. Sometimes that's how many participants are there. It just isn't feasible. Um, I, we talked about the ball a little bit too. Are we, because all these ball companies, they all play different. They all break down differently what is the solution here Curtis? like, uh, is this blowing your mind that these balls are are so different from one another? Or is that like, you know, in baseball and softball, is that like also a thing?
1: No, it's interesting. In, In fact, I think it's. Balls are almost always the most difficult part of the equation because they're so different from each other. Um, it's hard to set the parameter for the ball, especially coming out of the gate. Writing the rules ten years ago, right? And I think the we'll r- still include a physical, you know, handheld drop of the ball, like a, like a, like a drop in, in golf. Um, and and there's just a lot more we can we can learn and look at, and, and understanding how those balls perform at different speeds, uh, different temperatures. All of that is, I mean, there isn't even really an agreed upon method for best way to manufacture these balls, right? I know there's, there's two or three different ways that people are making them and, and they all perform a little bit differently, um, some better than others. So um, I think that'll all just get better with time as, as people put more time and effort and money and resources into the development of the product. Uh, we're just going to set the parameters in a way that makes sense for the game and, and let the equipment guys do their thing.
0: Okay. Uh, Brooks, what was the goal or what is the goal with Major League Pickleball developing? uh their own ball is that uh to have something more uniform across the entire platform or
2: yes yeah i mean we want to um we just want to have also i think professional level ball um high quality control um experimenting with different yeah different manufacturing processes um something that and also come up with this The standards by which through this dynamic testing come up with standards like tennis, you know, they they switch out balls every six games or whatever it is like to come up with to learn by doing the testing. Like, how long does it take to, as you know, like the um, Dura balls come out really shiny, right? And the pros, they don't want to play with that ball. They'd rather play with a ball that's been played in like one game, you know, about that. Um, So how do we, can we possibly even pre-scuff balls or, you know, what are the, just as we learn more about like how long balls last and, or how should they last or um, how, you know, what speed do we want in the game? um, We'll again, use that data to determine what, what our strategy is going forward. But um, something that lasts longer, you know, plays better in cold weather and like probably will end up being a different ball that plays better, you know if it's below 60 degrees it's one ball if it's above 60 degrees it's another ball um yeah yeah that makes sense mm-hmm. because
0: the very vari- there's so many variables and the ball is like ultra sensitive to all of yeah. it honestly i yeah. see guys carrying a cooler around keeping the balls <laughs> cold so they move faster but if you if they're too cold they're going to crack and yeah. if they there's just like so much to it uh, Curtis yes. welcome to the sport of pickleball. No, I'm, enjoy- I'm enjoying it,
1: <laughs> enjoying it very much. Um, yeah, no, I appreciate
0: it. Yeah,
2: uh, wild, wild west here.
0: I love it. I love it. That's it's, it's it, like you know people say what a time to be alive, but if you are in pickleball. Uh, that that saying is like, what a time to be alive. You get to see it move. And, and like we said before uh, we hit record here, Curtis, like you were working with Major League Baseball to put parameters similar to this in play only 15 years ago. And the sport has existed for, you know, over 100 years. So the fact that pickleball, uh, professional pickleball has not really been around that long and we're already to that point where we're adjusting is, I think, a testament to to the game in general. So, uh, uh, Brooks, anything before we close? Uh,
2: Major League Pickleball San Clemente is uh, June fifteenth through the eighteenth. Is the last event of season three. So, as you know, we have two seasons this year. Uh, This is the the end of season. I'm sorry, the end of season one is June fifteenth through the eighteenth. The typical MLP Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and then the two teams in both the premier level and the two teams in the challenger level that are at the top of both of those tables will play in the super finals on that Monday in San Clemente, June 19th. So um, I think we'll be making announcements pretty soon about um, where we'll be broadcasting those. Um, and yeah, tune in pickleball.net and our YouTube channel to, to watch those and uh, we'll make announcements about, uh, broadcast, so super excited. San Clemente, I think you've been there before, right? Yeah. I think I played beautiful in the tournament one time where you and Thomas were playing together next to me on a court getting an oh, argument. Oh, really? Yeah. Well, I, 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 yeah. Yeah, we were arguing. Yeah. 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 I don't know if it was against <laughs> each other or the other team, but... Uh, uh, <laughs> we were arguing
0: mostly with each other and then a little bit at the, with the other team, <laughs> um, but mostly but that, with each other.
2: That's an incredibly beautiful venue. It's just absurdly beautiful, like, views of the ocean, and there's like mustard seed flowers growing on the hills in the background um so just really excited to um to go to that venue have the end of end of season one yeah if you have
0: not been to a major league pickleball event and you love pickleball uh you definitely have to check it out because it really is like unlike any other uh pickleball event you've been to uh curtis thank you so much for your time and uh sharing with us all of your knowledge and for helping make the sport better uh and that's it. All right. So until next week, this is inside major league pickleball. Thanks, gentlemen.
2: Thanks a lot, guys, Thanks, great